Okay, so we are beginning a seven-week series on prayer. Super excited about the next seven weeks, um, and here's why. Um, I hope that over the next few weeks that you establish both a greater understanding and passion about what prayer is and maybe how it intersects your life. And so I, I really feel passionately about the fact that if we can connect every person at Restoration with the voice of God, then you can access the power of God in your life. We talk about the power of God all the time, right? We think about 2 Peter 1.3 that says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. But as important as verse 4, it says that through that spirit, we get the ability to participate in the divine nature. Amen. So think about that for a minute. We can both uh, experience his divine power and participate in his divine nature. Now, that seems a little highbrow, right? For some of you, you're like, yo, it is everything that I could do just to show up this morning. Um, so let me just uh, take this down to a street level. At the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, you have been given the spirit of Jesus on the inside of you. Remember John 14, he said, I have to go away and uh, I, I need to go away so that the helper can come. And then we saw in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came, know this, uh, Jesus, one guy with a lot of followers, he had to go away so that he could universally send the Holy Spirit that everyone who says yes to him, that the Holy Spirit lives in you and he is your access to both the power of God and the participation with God and becoming like God. How cool is that? So that's what's available to you as a follower of Jesus that you get to access the power of God and the participation in the divine nature. But here's the thing. If you don't, if you're not able to hear the voice of God, then you're missing a major part of the spiritual life. If you can't understand what God is trying to tell you, how can you ever obey what he's trying to tell you? And so um, let me give you a good, simple definition of prayer as we head out. Um, it's three words. You ready? Communication with God. Can you say that with me? Communication with God. That's prayer. So that is about the most, uh, uh, just the street level uh, definition of prayer. Communication with God. But here's what it means. I talk and he listens. We're probably way too familiar with that. And then less familiar, he talks and I listen. We don't do that so well. And so communication with God. So here's what I want you to begin to orient yourself around as we move through this series, that prayer is more dialogue and less monologue. We're monologuers when we pray, right? You found it on the website. Good for you, Siri. Okay, so she's, I got to quit wearing my watch on Sunday. She's got a lot to say about what I'm saying. A lot of times she says, would you repeat that, please? <laughs> She's on a spiritual journey, just like you and me. So we're praying for the day that she receives Jesus. All right. So think about this whole idea of, uh, of being more dialogue and less monologue. So um, here's how most of us pray, if we're being honest. You got a list. You got stuff that you need. And so you go to God and you begin to just rattle off the list. 
God, I pray for this, I pray for this, I need this, this person needs healing, I, I pray for our finances, I pray for my kids, that they would stop making bad decisions, I pray, I pray, I pray, and then we go, peace out. And the whole time God is like, wait, I, but, uh, uh, you're out the door. So think about your relationship with your spouse. Think about how solid your marriage is when you are a monologuer and not a dialoguer. When you're talking at your spouse and not having a dialogue with your spouse, how well does that go for you? Right? I mean, I know right now you're like, see, I've been telling you. (laughs) But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Prayer is a dialogue with the God of the universe, the creator and the created, having this beautiful communication. It's the way that it was meant to be. And so if you tend to be a monologuer where prayer is concerned, if you know how to put all the Father Gods in place, Father God, I pray, Spirit Jesus, that you would, Holy Spirit, come. And and God, I mean, it's like he knows his name. Calm down. (laughs) Have you ever been around people that just are, it's like, I don't even know anymore. (laughs) So the Bible is full of stories of God's interaction with his people. Like this is, this is a book of stories and not just how God interacted, but how he interacts with his people. Amen. And so think about it. He spoke through a burning bush. He spoke through prophets, through visions, through a donkey. Thank you, Sheila. Uh, angels, um, through his audible voice. Through his audible voice. And today is no different. Since the beginning of the year, um, I've had so many conversations with people that will tell me, man, uh, this was going on in my life. And then God spoke to me through a song on the radio. Has that ever happened to you? That, that, that you're going through something and you flip it on KSPJ or Air One and it seems like that song is just a particular thing, you know? That, that uh, casting crown song on KSPJ, that's all they play on KSPJ, by the way, so... Um, not a big deal. Um, or maybe it's through scripture. You know, I've had so many people that would say, hey, you preached on this this morning before I got here. That's what I was reading. And, and God was doubling down on what he wanted me to hear because of that. Maybe it's through a vision or a dream. Maybe it's through an impression or through a circumstance in their life. I mean, I just hear it. God is speaking in all sorts of different ways. And it's just beautiful to hear stories about God interacting with his people. So last week, um, we had five services over two days. Um, Four of the five services were in overflow. And I mean, five services in two days, it's a lot. So Saturday, two services, and then our normal three on Sunday. And uh, so know this, that two years ago when we made the decision to, to go to three services, the one thing that I prayed was that God would give me the grace to be as passionate at 1130 as I am at 8 a.m. And, and so I just like, I, did, I never wanted, um, and, and, and if someone says to me, hey, home stretch, I kind of try to ignore it because I don't want to have that mentality. I don't want to have the mentality that I'm coasting to the finish line. So I try to stay in the zone all morning. I'm in every worship service on the front row trying to stay engaged in worship because I just want that uh, for our body. And I want to stay connected. And so uh, last week, it's uh, Sunday, 1130. And um, 
I just got super emotional. And I started tearing up during worship, and then the tearing up moved to a cry, and then the cry moved to kind of a sob. I mean, I was on the front row sobbing, and, and uh, fortunately, the music's really loud, and so I, no one could just just experience that with me. But I, I was really trying to connect with, okay, God, what are you, what are you doing in the room right now? And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm crying, and I'm like, man, I must just be really, really tired. And um, but then I just felt God say to me, I'm here. I'm right here. Amen. And so I walked up on stage knowing that I am far from being composed. And I started trying to talk and y'all know me. I get emotional sometimes. I'm having trouble getting the words out. And all of a sudden the spirit said to me, John chapter two. Well, when he said John chapter two, immediately I remember this is the wedding at Cana. It was the first miracle that John recorded in John chapter 2. And do you remember that story? Jesus changes the water into wine because they're out of wine. And the master of ceremonies sips the wine and he says to Jesus, wow, we usually serve the choice wine first. But what did he say? You save the best for last. I can't say it without getting emotional. Um, because the spirit of God in that moment was telling me, Greg, I saved the best for last. I'm sitting down in the room. I'm, I'm right here. So just, man, go, go, run. And it was this beautiful reminder to me that God is so present. And you know what? The music was really, you know, it's, it's thumping and I'm singing. It would have been so easy for me to miss that moment because I was caught up in the environment. Or y'all see me, I'm walking up and down the aisles on Sunday morning so preoccupied with so many things that frankly don't really matter. Um, and yet God is like, listen, there are things that I wanna say to you. I'm here, I'm present. So with that in mind, here's what I want you to know. God is always speaking, always. He's always speaking. And the challenge today as we move into the series on prayer, day one, I want us to talk about what it is like to listen. What is it like to listen? Because we're great talkers, but we're not great listeners in the kingdom of God. And so uh, 1 Samuel chapter three, I want us to look at this interaction that God has with this young kid, 12 or 13 years old, named Samuel. We're gonna start with uh, chapter three, verse one. It says, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. Okay, so we need to unpack that a little bit. Like who's Eli? Well, Eli was a judge and he was acting as a priest over the nation of Israel. So he was kind of in the upper echelon of, of, of leaders in Israel. And so we know a couple of things about Eli. 
Here's what he was known for. Number one, in chapter one, Hannah is without child. She wants to have a baby really badly. And, and Eli blesses her and says, listen, this is gonna come to fruition. He prophesies over her and she almost immediately goes home and she gets pregnant. I mean, there's some stuff that happened there, but she ends up pregnant. And then in chapter two, she prays this beautiful prayer. It's a famous prayer. Uh, some commentators would say it's really synonymous with Mary's prayer when she found out she was pregnant with Jesus. And so it's this beautiful prayer. So one thing we know about Eli is that he was a part of blessing and prophesying over Hannah. The other thing that we know is that he was a horrible father. He had two evil sons, Phineas and Hophni, who really, they were eating the best part of sacrifices. You would bring sacrifice uh, in the form of meat and they would take the choice meat and eat it for themselves and offer the leftovers to God. They were also sleeping with a bunch of women that were in and out of the tabernacle. And so they were just not good people. In fact, in 1 Samuel 2, 12, um, I love this word. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. I mean, that's not a word we use every day, right? Scoundrels, that is very old school. But um, it, they were not good people. And so at the end of chapter two, God prophesied to Eli that the lineage uh, of, of the priesthood would no longer go through his bloodline because he allowed them to continue. So the bottom line is he would slap them on the hand and say, hey, you need to stop doing that. But they would continue doing it and there were no repercussions. And so he's like, you know what? I'm gonna change the royal bloodline. So priests, the priesthood would be passed down through generations. Now he's like, hey, your generation stops here, bro. No more. And he even says at the end of chapter two, hey, those two guys, they're gonna die together on the same day. And they did. And so um, now we move into chapter three. Uh, Samuel, young boy, the son of Hannah, probably 12 or 13 at the time, and he was serving in the tabernacle under Eli. So I was an apprentice of sorts. And uh, it says at that time that not many people were seeing or hearing God. They weren't hearing the word of the Lord and they weren't seeing many dreams or visions. So here's what this tells us. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. I mean, these so-called spiritual leaders were not fostering an environment where they could hear God's voice. They weren't fostering an environment where they could see dreams or visions. So it was rare at that time because there was a ceiling on leadership. These leaders were not leading them in a spiritual way. And so God is about to move in, in spite of the fact that the spiritual leaders had lost their way. And so this is a great reminder in a season where over the last couple of months, we've seen a, a famous pastor, an internationally famous pastor drop and resign over an allegation of, of moral misconduct. We've seen that a lot lately, haven't we? I mean, it's just over and over, we see these uh, celebrity pastors that are falling by the wayside. And so, man, God wants to use people, but he is perfectly capable without people. And so we'll dig into this more as we walk through the passage, but here's what I want to humbly submit to you. I am just a guy. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy that God said, plant a church. I'm trying to walk in obedience to that. I'm trying to, man, I study and I want to unpack scripture in, in, in a way that I feel like that God is, 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 you know, through me speaking to us. But at the end of the day, don't take my word for it. 
This is why hearing the voice of the Lord for yourself is so incredibly important and why our goal at restoration is to connect you with the voice of God. Because I want you to know what I have to say is is of uh, relatively uh, finite value as opposed to the infinite voice of God. And so, man, I want you, I'm, I'm following after Jesus. I'm, I'm trusting that the Spirit is opening the Scriptures to me to reveal to you. But, man, don't let me be the final word. Because the final word is Jesus. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, he wants to speak directly to you. And we'll see that more in just a minute. So, verse 2, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual, usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. So it says Eli was losing his sight, so he's an older guy. I would say he was losing his sight both uh, physically and spiritually. And so many times uh, when we see something in the physical, it's mirroring something in the spiritual. And it says here that he was losing his sight. His eyes were growing dim and he was laying in his room in the tabernacle. So if you remember, this is before the temple was built. And so when we think tabernacle, think a big tent. So if you look back in Exodus, uh, Moses, you remember we had the tent of meeting and the tent of meeting is where uh, the Ark of the Covenant ended up. Uh, So uh, the Ark of the Covenant would be the place where they would, uh, the manifest presence of God, it says the Ark of the Lord was there. So when you hear Ark, this is not Noah's Ark, it's not a big boat. Um, The Ark of the Covenant was, was a casing, I would say much like a coffin, and so it had very specific requirements that God told him to build it a certain way. It's very ornate. And if you opened it up, inside there were three things. There was the rod of Aaron, which used to lead uh, the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. And so that represented the power of God. And then there were the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets, which represented the law of God. And then there was a jar of manna, which represented the provision of God. And so these three things were inside this casing. And if you remember the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, they would send it out in front of them in battle. And as they would do that, they would always win. Anytime God went out in front of them, they won because it was the presence of God. So imagine that you're this kid, Samuel, and it says he was lying next to the Ark of the Lord. He's, he, he's laying there saturated in the presence of God. How cool is that? Who's in for that? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us, maybe you live in a lot of fear. Maybe you have a lot of anxiety when you lay your head on your pillow at night. It's hard for you to focus and go to sleep because you got a lot of things going on in your head and you're, you're, you're frustrated or anxious. Just know the ark of the Lord is the Holy Spirit in you today. The presence of God in you. He can, he can be the cure for anxiety in your life. He's the one, as Josh talked about it a couple of weeks ago, he is the only one who can satisfy, who can give you the rest that you're looking for. Amen. Okay, so verse four, it says, then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. The Lord called to Samuel. So here's the first thing that we need to see. God's voice sounded like the voice of an ordinary man. Did you catch that? 
When, when God called, I think for a lot of us, when we think about God's voice, we think about because it, it's been so sensationalized through media, right? That it's, uh, it's, it's lightning and thunder and this booming voice or an earthquake and the ground shakes. And you know what? Sometimes God does speak and the earth shakes. We saw that in Acts chapter 4. But, but here's what is more likely. He's less James Earl Jones and more Matthew McConaughey probably. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. God speaks in a very natural voice. So much so that when Samuel heard his voice, he mistook it for Eli. Are you connected with that? That that God actually wants to speak to you in a very normal way, in a way that we can understand. And so um, I've been reading this book by Pete Gregg called How to Hear God. A Simple Guide for Normal People. Uh, It's so good. I would encourage you, grab it on Amazon. It's worth it. But I want to read this excerpt for you that I just think it really sums up everything I want to talk about today. Could probably read this and pray, um, but I've got a few more things to say. But uh, it's on page 126. So when you get to 126 in the book, you skip over it because I'm about to read it to you, okay? It says this. Isn't it interesting that Samuel mistook God's audible voice merely for that of the man next door. This is not what we expect God to sound like. Hearing him speak should surely be unmistakable and unmissable. A booming voice from the heavens, an angelic appearance at night, that sort of thing. But sometimes, actually most of the time in my experience, his voice is entirely mistakable for something or someone else. Most of the time we miss the voice of God, not because it's too strange, but because it's too familiar. He sounds like a song on the radio, a fleeting thought, the old man next door. The God of the universe is rarely weird. He is the very one who has predestined and defined that which we consider normal. So it'd be ludicrous if he had to somehow banish himself from his own norms whenever he wanted to communicate with his own creation. He speaks in a familiar accent. He impregnates the natural with the supernatural and makes the mundane holy. Again and again, he comes to us, as one mystic puts it, disguised as our own life. Come on, y'all. He puts it way better than I could. Um, But think about that. This is so needed for us to understand. God is always speaking. We just have to learn to recognize his voice. And once you do, here's what happens. You find that he's been speaking to you all along. Most of the time, this is what he said, most of the time we miss the voice of God, not because it's too strange, but because it's too familiar. So let me throw this in. I'll double down on it in a minute, but... God will never speak outside of his word, okay? And so um, there's no such thing as new revelation. Um, It may be newly revealed to you, but it's always gonna fall within the construct of the nature of God in the Bible. And so um, God is never gonna contradict his word. So if you feel like God says something to you, um, but you can't find it lining up with scripture, it's not God, there's no doubt. But he does speak through his spirit. He does press in. I mean, I think about last week for me, when I, when I was overwhelmed and all he said was John chapter two and immediately we were in sync. Save the best for last. How cool is that? 
straight out of scripture. And yet it was God reminding me of what he's doing, of what he was doing in the room in that moment. But think about that. He was taking a, a, a scripture, an experience that Jesus had 2,000 years ago and relating it to a moment in my life on Easter 2022. That's what God does. Amen. So Samuel mistook God's voice for Eli, but here's what I love. His predisposition was toward obedience. When he heard the voice, he jumped up. So that means he was sleeping with one eye open. He recognized Eli's older, Eli's blind. He may need me to get him up and walk him to the bathroom. I, I don't know what was in his head. All I know is he heard a voice. He thought it was Eli's, but his predisposition was toward obedience. So he calls him a second time, verse six. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Calls a second time, Eli, bro, it's not me. You're keeping me up at this point, right? <laughs> go lay back down. It says he did not know the word of the Lord because it had not yet been revealed to him. And so let's take Samuel, let's put him in a time machine and let's drop him into 2022. I think he would fit in most churches today. I think he would fit right in because um, he was passionate about serving God. He was ready to do at a moment's notice, whatever needed to be done but he didn't yet recognize God's voice. So what did he do? He oriented himself to following Eli's voice. In the absence of understanding God's voice, he's just like, hey, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. He was passionate about uh, whatever it took. And I think for a lot of us, man, aren't we chomping at the bit? I mean, for some of you, you hear Love Foster's Hope and you're like, man, I'm gonna be the first one at the table today. I'm gonna volunteer, I'm gonna jump in. And that's great. That may not be God's yes for you. Amen. And so the question is, are you doing it because you want to do it or because God's calling you to do it? Amen. Because there are good opportunities and God opportunities. And the only way to know the God opportunities is to know his voice. Amen. So every one of us needs a spiritual mentor. Um, you need someone to inspire, encourage, challenge you in your relationship with God. And at times, God will use those people to speak to you. But they should never, ever, ever be a replacement for God himself. Amen. So when you begin a codependent spiritual relationship with somebody that you don't move unless they tell you to, you've missed the point. And know this, the enemy will use that in your life. When you put a person up on a pedestal and now they become, you become paralyzed because you believe that they hear from God better than you ever could. That's a lie from the enemy. Let me just say it again. I'm a guy and the only reason that I recognize and obey the voice of God is because I've had some years of practicing it. I've had some years of getting it wrong. Of Oh, I missed on that one. But the more persistent I am to seek, to hear his voice and obey what he says, I've developed an understanding of his voice in my life. So uh, Brian Jenkins, great friend of mine, many of you know him. Man, he spoke at Men's Advance 
um, about six weeks ago, and uh, Brian's a guy that I consider a friend and at times a mentor. He's on my short list of phone of friends. If I got a question about something or I need wisdom in a situation and I, I want him to be joining me in prayer over something or, hey, man, do you have a, do you have a word for me where this is concerned? And, um, man, he has this very peculiar way of hearing God's voice. ton of respect for him. Um, but here's what I know. Um, I can never orient my life around Brian's relationship with Jesus. He's a great mentor, and I, I want to be able to receive because there are times when he has said things to me like, hey, you should be pastoring a church. Man, so glad I listened to him on that one. But he's just a guy following Jesus. And the number one thing that he's done is inspire me to discover uh, the connection that I personally have with God. So here's how I hear from God, and I think it would be a great practice. If you're trying to figure out, okay, so how do I functionally hear God's voice? So I spend a lot of time sitting and being quiet, just sitting and being quiet. And I ask questions, and then I just sit and I listen. And I've got my journal open, ready to write whatever thoughts are in my head. And what I find is as I'm uh, journaling and journaling and journaling, I'll get down and I'll just look and I'll read it. And I know that those thoughts were not from me. Amen. And I begin to, to get very familiar with how God speaks to me yes. and, and the voice of God. And so often when I'm journaling and I feel like God is taking me a direction, I'll put it in quotation marks so that I know, hey, that's not me. And I can look back over just journals over years of how God has interacted with me in so many areas of my life. And I've seen how he's answered prayers and how he's moved me in certain directions. And, and really, again, it was just me showing up and being willing to sit and listen. Look at this, a third time, verse eight, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So he told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So a third time, God calls Samuel. So here's what I love about that. God doesn't get weary of calling you. And your impatience and your obstinance and, and your uh, uh, theological belief that he can't speak in that way, um, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep talking. And at some point, his hope is that your spirit will connect with that voice. And he's just going to keep saying, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Amen. And here's what's cool. Eli, he clearly had a history with God. He understood how God spoke because there was probably a time in his life when he was really connected. I mean, he was a priest. He, he had been appointed by God to be a priest in that culture. And now he had kind of fallen off the rails. His, his kids were a train wreck and God's like, hey, I'm, I'm, pulling that, I'm pulling that anointing from you. But he finally connects with the fact, oh, the reason you keep waking me up, God's speaking to you. The next time he speaks, here's all you need to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is what? Listening. And that's the crux of the message this morning and the most underused part of prayer. Listen. 
Listen, we live in a culture of white noise. I mean, in our house, the TV's usually on, just running in the background, right? It's just, it's just white noise. Think about any retail store that you walk into. Even when you walk in here on Sunday mornings, what do you hear in the background? Music. Why? It's white noise. Why? Because we're uncomfortable. Let me just make that personal. I'm uncomfortable walking into a quiet room. So you're welcome. Like for me, if the music's not playing and I'm having a conversation with you, I'm looking at the going, where's the music? Where's the music? Where's the music? Because I just hate quiet. I hate quiet so much. I can't sleep without a fan. I need white noise all the time because that helps me sleep. As soon as the white noise goes off, so if we're in a hotel and we don't have a fan, I've got my phone, you know, running. And if it times out in the middle of the night, I'm literally like, Like, I cannot function without white noise. And yet, God speaks in the silence. God moves in the silence. He, he wants us to learn to practice Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. It's in the silence that he speaks. And, and, and the problem is for a lot of us, man, we're running full speed. We're, we're, you know, we're self-starters. We're entrepreneurs. We're going after it. And, and we want people to know, I will charge that hill. And God's like, that's cool. The hill I wanted you to charge was over here, though. <laughs> and it's only in the silence when we sit down and we say, hey, God, I want to know what's on your heart today. I want to know what hill you want me to charge, not the one that I'm determined to conquer. We learn to listen. I think about, you know, in my time journaling, here's what I had to orient myself around. If I'm asking God questions, why am I not expecting an answer? Have you thought about that in your own life? That, that we're real good at asking God for stuff and then we're off and we're like, well, I hope he, hope he answers me, but I'm off. And God's like, wait, I, I got some stuff to say to you about that. In fact, you're praying about the wrong stuff. Because here's the thing, Psalm 37.4, think about this. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We love the second part, but we hate the first part. Right, because what does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? I mean, think about your now spouse. When you first met them, you were so excited, right? And you could not wait. You went out on that first date and, and, and you left. And women, you sat and stared at your phone wondering when he's going to call. And he's like playing it cool going, well, if I call too quick, I'll seem too eager. So I'm going to do the 48-hour rule, you know, and you're waiting, waiting, waiting. You know what I'm talking about, guys. I'm, I probably just said too much. But, uh, uh, but the bottom line is, you know, you're just like, you can't wait for that next date. You can't wait. Man, I remember the first time that Yvonne took my hand. We were in Tom Thumb. And I remember <laughs> we, were, we were going to buy some peanut butter. She was going to make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She was going to butter my bread, right? And so I, I just remember when she took my hand in that store, I'm like, be cool, dude. Be cool. Be cool. But here's what I know. I was delighting myself in her. Like I could not wait to spend every waking moment. We ran up the stupidest phone bills back when phone bills were like a thing. We'd run up like 
we were long distance running up $400 phone bills that my dad paid for. And, uh, and it was just like, <laughs> but I delighted myself in her. So here's the thing, delighting yourself in the Lord is, man, you can't wait to get in his presence. Like, like if, if, if God is just, if you identify as a Christian, but you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you can't wait to get in the secret place with him, then you've missed something along the way. Because here's what happened. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what happens is he transforms your affections to his affections. So the reason he gives you the desires of your heart is they're actually his desires. That's sneaky, right? He's like, listen, I'm transforming you, transforming your mind and your heart into something that I can use. And the problem is we refuse to get in the presence of God and then we're just asking him for things that he's like, I mean, that's cool, but that's not even what I have for you. (laughs) What would it be like to sit in his presence with a journal open going, okay, God, what do you want me to know about today? I'll wait. Here's what's gonna happen. Your mind is gonna be flooded with maybe sin you need to confess. Maybe it's like, uh, yeah, I gotta work through that with you. And he's like, yeah, and your wife, okay? Then he's gonna give you names of people, just random, man, I hadn't talked to them in a long time. And all of a sudden it's gonna be like, oh, you're asking me to reach out to them. And you don't know what you're reaching out about. Maybe you just shoot them a text. Hey, how's it going? How can I pray for you today? And they begin to vomit on you something that's going on in their life that you would have never known had you not reached out. Could be a a situation that you're anxious about, something at work that you've been obsessing over and it comes into your mind and, and Jesus is saying, hey, lay it on me. Let me give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Do you see it? When you're in the secret place with him and when you begin to ask him, hey, what is on your heart for me today? He's gonna start telling you what his heart is for you that day. And then you get to write it down. And as you begin to write it down over the weeks and months and years, you can look back and go, wow, I'm very connected to the voice of God in my life. Don't raise your hand, but isn't that what you want? I mean, I mean, for all of us, I mean, for some of you, you're like, man, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life, right? I've been waiting to understand how to be connected with the voice of God and I hear about it and I, I've just, I've, I've cashed it in under the guise of God doesn't speak like that anymore. How cruel would it be for God to give us a Bible full of stories of how he interacted with his people and say, here, read this, but I'll never do this for you. How cruel would that be? That's not the God I know. He desires to connect with you on a deep, intimate, personal way. So look at verse 10. That's my favorite part, by the way. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. So if you blink, you miss this. Since the Lord came and stood there, what does that look like? So first of all, he's already called out to him three times. He's gone to the wrong place. And he's like, okay, Samuel, I'm gonna make this as easy for you as possible. Because Eli says, hey, listen, it's the Lord. The next time that he calls you, 
Just say, speak for your servant is listening. And then in verse 10, it says, the Lord stood there. What does the Lord look like? I mean, is, 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 it, a, is it like an amorphous like light that's in the room? Is it in the form of an angel? Well, if we look through the rest of scripture, he tells us what God looks like in the flesh. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus, the son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In the book of John, uh, chapter one, verse 14, it says the word became flesh. That word there we find out in verse 17 is Jesus. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Hebrews 1.3, it says the son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So let let me ask you a question. Who was standing in the room with Samuel? It was Jesus. It was God in the flesh. If you want to see Jesus, he's on every page of the Bible. You just have to look for it. So imagine that. Does that blow your mind? That here, this is pre-birth. This is before Jesus was a baby born in a manger. And now the physical representation of God is standing in that room. And it just makes sense. God in the flesh was standing there and calling out to him. How much did God want to speak to Samuel? Did he keep saying, Samuel, Samuel, Eli, (laughs) Samuel, Eli, Samuel, Eli, (laughs) Samuel, yo, (laughs) what's up? So here's what we know about Samuel. He goes on to be a prophet, a mouthpiece for Israel. The people wanted a king, and so God used Samuel to anoint Saul, the first king of Israel, who turned out to be a horrible king because that's the king the people wanted. And he was also a part of removing Saul from leadership. And then he got to anoint as king a man named David. Think about the adventure that Samuel experienced, all because he said yes. What if after that third time, he's just like, you know what, brother needs some sleep. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit this one out. What if he would have ignored the voice of God? And God would have said, oh man, I got something so great for you. He said yes, and he got to live an adventure. And from that point on, he was forever connected to the voice of God. What does God want to do in your life? What adventure does he want to take you on? I think probably for for a lot of people in the room, you're like, yeah, but that's in the Bible. Those are Bible people. God did great things through Bible people. No, he wants to do great things through you. You are a Bible person because you're a person that's living and breathing. You're a person who is beneficiary of the cross of Christ. He died, he rose again, and then he came back in the person of the Holy Spirit. And everyone who says yes to Jesus gets the spirit on the inside. And you have both the power of God to live life and you get to participate in the divine nature. That's 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. It means that now you get to live divine. He is transforming you, transforming your affections. You're on a journey with him. Wake up, y'all. 
God is speaking all the time and he's inviting you into an adventure. And then there's an enemy who's trying to convince you, oh, he'll never speak to me like that. Why? What's disqualified you? Maybe there's something in your life you're unwilling to let go of. Well, that's gonna be a restrictor. You thinking he's not gonna speak to you and all he's saying is, hey, you gotta let go of that first. I'm gonna keep saying that on repeat until you let go of it. Do you recognize that by the way? That we hold on to things in our lives. We hold on to either addictions or, or, or we're so prideful to say, this is my way, this is how I'm gonna have it. But God, speak to me. Yes. And over and over, you just keep saying the same thing. Great, give that up. I know, but after I give it up, what? Give it up? I'm not gonna tell you step two until you obey step one. And yet he speaks and speaks and speaks, speaks to everyone who will be still and know that he's God. And he'll come and just stand in front of you. So here I am, here I am. Do you want that? I know there are a lot of skeptics in the room that are like, uh, I don't know how this fits in my theology. Well, I mean, it's in the Bible. So if your theology doesn't include God speaking, then you might as well throw your Bible away because it's all he did with his people from generation to generation to generation. And he desires to do it in your life right here, right now. He's not hiding. So let's, as we close here, are just a couple things that I wanna say. Number one, God wants to be understood. He wants to be understood. There's a typo in that. He didn't want you to be understood. He wants to be understood. I mean, he wants you to be understood too, but that's not the point. God wants to be understood. God is not hiding. He is not up at 30,000 feet just kind of saying, listen, I'm just gonna superintend this from a distance. No, he is a very present God that wants to be fully engaged in your life. God wants his voice to become familiar to you. I play hide and seek with my grandkids and uh, they are the worst hiders in the world. I mean, from the time I stop counting and say, ready or not, here I come, the youngest jumps out and goes, here I am. <laughs> like you've missed the game completely, right? And then I'll go hide and really it's prelude to a nap for me. I'll hide really good so that they just give up the search, right? And I really joke because I want to be found. And so from the time that I hear them quit counting, they start yelling, Papa, where are you? And I'm like, you haven't even started looking yet. <laughs> but if I really want to be tricky with them, I'll just start. Where are you? You got to become very adaptive following the whistle, right? You know when it's further away, you know when it's getting closer. But the whole goal is, I want to teach them to find me. I don't want to just jump out. They're like, Papa, don't scare me. God wants to be found. He wants to be found. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 14. We love Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But check out what comes next. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then the beginning of 14, I will be found by you. God wants to be found, y'all. He wants to be found. For some of you today, this is going to be the beginning of a new journey with you and Jesus. I'm so excited for you. Number two, learn to listen expectantly. Assume that God wants to speak to you and be prepared to journal when he does. Remember, this is dialogue, not monologue. And also remember, he's never gonna contradict his word. So if you write some stuff down and you read it, you're like, well, that's not biblical. It's not God then. Go back to the drawing board and just say, God, I feel like I missed something along the way. Speak for your servant is listening. Listen expectantly. He wants to speak to you. Then number three, practice moving in bold obedience to what you hear. Hearing is one thing, but obeying is what activates the power of God. You can hear all day, but if you don't walk in obedience, then you'll just be another in a long list of rich young rulers who went away sad because he had great wealth. Be bold. Walk in obedience to what you hear and watch God blow your mind with what he'll do in your life. There will be stories that will come out of this next seven weeks. As your prayer life is revolutionized, as you're awakened to the voice of God, that it's gonna be generation changing. Your kids will be different. Your friends will be different. There will be seeds that will be planted for generations to come because you begin to connect with the voice of God and do what he says. And so God, we are expectant. For some of us, we're afraid because we're perfectionists and we're afraid we're gonna do something wrong. We're afraid that we're gonna miss, uh, misspeak or miss do something. We thank you that your grace is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That, that you know our hearts and you know that we struggle sometimes to understand your voice and, and you say, that's okay. I want you to get better at it. What have we ever gotten anything right the first time? Thank you for your grace. That you are a, a God that loves us enough to gently walk with us and teach us and train us. The number one thing that will keep us from hearing your voice is our own pride. our own self-loathing to believe that it's not for us. And so I pray that you would begin right now, begin to speak, even in an impression, a faint, still, small voice. Would you just pray right now and just say, God, I want to learn to understand your voice. Will you speak to me? that you make with him today is, hey God, either sometime today, tomorrow morning for sure, in the stillness of a moment, I'm gonna get still with you and I'm just gonna ask you what you want me to know. And I'm gonna show up expectant. I'm inviting you to speak to me. I wanna have dialogue with you.